Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm Ray Boland, your host today, and with me is Dr. Cornelius Hunter, author of several books, uh, Darwin's God, Darwin's Proof, and Science's Blind Spot. He's also the author of a blog called Darwin's God, and the subtitle to that is How Religion Drives Science and Why It Matters. Well, that's an interesting subtitle, Cornelius. Why don't you tell us about your blog and what you're hoping to accomplish with that? Oh, thank you, Ray. I'm glad to be here. And yeah, the, the blog is a lot of fun, and it's interesting. I try and keep it interesting. The idea is to look at the influence of religious thought on science. Uh, evolution is a primary example of that, but I, we do get into other topics as well. But it's, it's really a look at the non-empirical influences on science mm. and how they influence science and therefore influence our everyday lives, everything from when you go to the doctor to how our taxes get spent how your kids, what your kids learn in school are influenced by religion, not just the empirical evidence. Very interesting. I'm assuming that when you use the word religion, you're basically simply saying that all of us have basic assumptions about life and how we choose to live it that we can't necessarily prove, but it determines how we interpret evidence and and everything like that. Is that what you're basically getting at? Well, it's a little more than that, actually. If you look at the okay. history of thought, I got interested in evolution but simply by the, the claims that were being made, the truth claims, and found out very quickly as I traced those down and looked at the papers that religious claims are under, mm-hmm. underlying it. Religious claims made by Christians over the years. You can go back to the Lutherans in the 17th century, the Anglicans. In the early years of science, the Christian thought was grappling with the idea of how God would have made this world. And it didn't seem quite right with all the evil and, you know, the world isn't very pretty sometimes. Maybe it's better to have God not actually make the world. God actually made the laws that make the world. Kind of a deistic sort of approach. Turns out there's, there's a whole web of religious beliefs behind that. So by the time Darwin comes along, he really was not a revolutionary thinker. The groundwork had been laid. Uh, evolution was in the air a law-like description of origins was being mandated. They just needed a kind of a scientific sounding theory to fill in the blanks, and that's what Darwin did. Okay. Well, in a recent blog post, you, you titled it, Rewrite the Textbooks Again, Origin of Mitochondria Blown Up. Now, before we get to the actual topic of that, what are mitochondria? Right, right. So mitochondria are the powerhouse of our cells. Listeners probably remember from their high school biology, there's a couple different kinds of cells, simpler ones and more complicated ones. And we humans have the more complicated kind. Any multicellular organism, trees, oak trees, and tigers, and lions, we all have the more complicated kind of cell. And those more complicated kind of cells have a number of molecular machines inside of them there's the nucleus that houses the DNA. And then there's a bunch of di- different kinds of machines called organelles. One of them is the mitochondria. And its job is basically to take the incoming energy in the form of food. So we're eating food, and it's taking those uh, food supplies and converting them to a different type of energy. People call it the power supply of, of the body, of the cell. But as with any power supply, it's really a conversion of one to another. Uh, You see reservoirs with water in them, and that water gets released, and it turns a turbine. So you're converting the potential energy of the water into the electrical energy that the turbine creates. Mitochondria 
do pretty much the same thing. They take one sort of energy, which is in the food that we eat, and convert that to chemical energy. And mm-hmm. it's actually, it's interesting, there's a couple of steps. Um, what a mitochondria does is it take, takes the energy and uses it to stuff protons into a compartment. So think of a balloon, and you're blowing air into this balloon, it gets bigger and bigger uh, and more tense. <laughs> the mitochondria gets protons put into its balloon. And those protons don't like to be together. They're all positively no. charged. They, they really, really want to get away from each other. And that compartment has turbines in the wall. And those turbines open up, and the protons get released, and they turn the turbine. But instead of making electricity, the turbines make a chemical that listeners probably remember from high school biology called ATP. Mm-hmm. And that's the universal unit of energy just like we have electricity as our universal unit, you know, we have our plugged in the wall, you can plug in a vacuum cleaner, you can plug in a hair dryer, you can plug in a toaster. Well, ATP is distributed throughout the body for all kinds of different purposes, but yeah. the ATP is created at the mitochondria by releasing these protons from the reservoir. So mm-hmm. that's your 30-second review yeah. of mitochondria, and mitochondria are only in the more complicated kind of cells. And by the way, the name for that cell is the eukaryote. Listeners might remember that eukaryote. And the simpler cells, such as bacteria, are called prokaryotes. Okay. So it sounds to me that for these uh, for eukaryotic organisms that have those types of cells, mitochondria is a pretty important piece of the puzzle, isn't it? It really is. And, and that's a great point, Ray, because think of it as a technology. It's a, a big technology uh, leap. For the prokaryote, the bacteria cells, they're not very efficient about how they create their energy. If you give them a certain amount of food, you're going to get a little bit of energy out. The mitochondria in the eukaryotes, like us, much, much more efficient, an order of magnitude more efficient in using that food energy and converting it to ATP. You get a lot more ATPs for every gram of uh, bread that you eat, so to speak. Okay. Well, let's get back to the blog post that you put up recently and about rewriting the textbooks because supposedly the origin of mitochondria, where they came from, has had to be redrawn, if you will. The maps had to be redrawn. So tell us about that. Yeah, good question, right? So we talked about the more complex kind of cells called eukaryotes and the simpler ones called prokaryotes. One of the big problems for evolution has always been How did these evolve in the first place? Mm. Both kinds of cells are a huge problem to explain how they could possibly have evolved. Eukaryotes, no less than prokaryotes. Even if you have a prokaryote evolution somehow, even if they arose somehow, how did you get to the eukaryote? Big problem for evolution. One of the problems is how did you get all these machines, such as the nucleus and, and the mitochondria itself? So evolutionists looked at mitochondria and they realized hmm, there's some similarities between the mitochondria machine inside of the eukaryote and prokaryote cells. In other words, you've got a mitochondria inside of the eukaryote and then you've got these free prokaryote cells. Yeah, a little bit of similarity there. The prokaryotes are making energy for themselves. They're kind of similar in size to the mitochondria. They have certain other similarities. Maybe the mitochondria was actually originally gobbled up by the eukaryote. There was an early eukaryote that literally gobbled up 
a nearby prokaryote and it was a free-living prokaryote inside of a eukaryote. In other words, the bacteria cell got into the more complicated kind of cell and then over time evolved into a mitochondria. Hmm. That is a very popular theory that helps to explain eukaryote evolution. Of course, there are many more problems with eukaryote evolution to be answered. This doesn't solve the problem of eukaryote evolution by any means, but it is one piece of the puzzle of, oh, okay, the mitochondria came from the uh, gobbling up of a prokaryote cell. And then would have had to have evolved quite a bit. This certainly doesn't automatically become a mitochondria. There's still a lot more problems of how that possibly could have happened. But that's been a very popular theory amongst evolutionists. And the first question that comes up is, well, okay, which prokaryote was it? Exactly which bacteria got, you know, gobbled up, got engulfed by a eukaryote? And that's, you know, they've always thought, oh, they, they found a class of bacteria that they figured, you know, they're called alpha proteobacteria. One of the alpha proteobacteria was the one that got gobbled up. Well, as they looked closer to identify which one it was, none of them really actually fit. And this has been a, a long-standing research problem, but they just kind of figured, well, they'll, they'll figure it out. Well, now we fast forward to this paper that, that we're talking about, Ray, and well, let this me paper... A quick, let me ask a quick question here. What were they actually trying to compare to decide which bacteria may have been the ancestor of the mitochondria? What, what were they looking for in particular? Can you spell, spell that out a little bit for us? Well, it's a good question, Ray, and there's a lot to it, but oh, okay. the, DNA, the, the genome is going to be important itself, okay. looking at it, because the mitochondria has its own genome, which you can compare to the bacteria genomes. Okay. But they also look okay. at other factors, just all kinds of morphological features of both the prokaryote and the mitochondria. But the, the genome is going to be one of the main things that they're looking at. Mm-hmm. Okay. The problem arose when the evolutionists it took a, a expansive look and really stepped back and said, okay, now that we've got all these um, genomes deciphered, we didn't have those 10, 20 years ago. Now we have a lot more genomes deciphered that we've read off from a lot of these alpha proteobacteria. Let's figure out which one it was. And uh, this should be easy because, well, we know it's one of those alpha proteobacteria and we've got a whole bunch of them now deciphered. So when they did that study, they found something they didn't expect. It didn't work. Hmm. They could not find any alpha proteobacteria that fit the criteria they were looking for. Hmm. Uh, They had to finally throw up their hands and say, you know, there isn't one. The whole whole theory got blown up, as I put in my title to the blog. Uh, It didn't work. Now, we do need to note that the original idea was driven by the theory of evolution. In other words, you believe that life evolved, then you're going to try and find how that works. So it's not as though the idea of a prokaryote being gobbled up and turned into the mitochondria was likely. It's just that it had to be in order to explain evolution. Oh, okay. So, okay. It, yeah, it didn't work out. Uh, they couldn't find a bacteria, a candidate, kind of like at the police station when you line the guys up behind the mirror, okay, which one is your guy? You know, well, they did that, and none of them fit. And so mm-hmm. what the theory had pointed evolutionists towards didn't work. In other words, the theory suggested one of these bacteria cells must have been imported. 
but they couldn't find one, and none of them fit the, fit the uh, criteria. What they concluded from the study was, okay, it must have been an ancestor of one of these bacteria. Oh, so okay. they pushed something, it back in time. One, <laughs> yeah, and as usual, you, you push it back. You push it back okay. in time yeah. to where there's no data. We don't have the data, and we will never will have the data. We never will. It must have gone extinct. It's some lineage that no longer exists that must have become the mitochondria, and there's no way to falsify it. Hmm. Okay. Because we'll never find it. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's very typical in evolutionary theory. As predictions fail and explanations don't work out, you make it more complicated. You push it backward in time. You go under the covers. It's something that we couldn't have observed. We, we can't find this out. And the theory is always driving the ideas in spite of the evidence. Yeah. Well, let me see if I can uh, summarize this. First, with the mitochondria, it's, it's the powerhouse of the cells where the cell gets all of its necessary energy currency, sometimes as I like to put it. And the mitochondrion is unique among cell organelles in that it actually has its own small circular piece of DNA. And when they started analyzing the DNA, they found it resembled uh, bacterial DNA. So this idea that, as you, as you put it, a, uh, a cell just gobbled up another bacterial cell and somehow that bacterial cell that was gobbled up transformed over time into a mitochondrion, maintaining some of its DNA and uh, they initially thought they had a potential ancestor lined up for what type of bacterial cell that was, the alpha proteobacteria. And as they tried to dig down further to try to identify maybe which grouping of those bacteria this, the, or the ancestor to the mitochondrion actually came from, they found that nothing was seeming to fit. Not even any of the alpha bacteria, proteobacteria, seemed to fit the pattern and so now they're having to punt, as it were, and say, well, it must have been something that existed before all these things. And as you're saying, the main problem with that is, well, we're certainly never going to be able to go back and find those things. There aren't any of those that seem to be existing today. Otherwise, we would have found something living <laughs> that I could compare. And we're just kind of left with nothing. And even then, I, I teach a college-level biology class for, for homeschoolers, an advanced biology class, and we talk about the origin of mitochondria, and, and it's in, as you say, it's in all the textbooks. And now all of a sudden, I'll bet you, even in a decade or so, we're not going to see this study pointed to. Is that, that would be my guess. What do you think? <laughs> well, first of all, excellent summary, Ray. Thank you. That, that You captured the ideas very well. And um, I, I'm not sure if, it'll be, uh, if we'll see it or not. What I will predict is the theory of evolution will still be held. Um, it's very resistant to falsification. And this little story, this little vignette, if you will, is a very good example. This happens over and over and over, where the expectations and explanations are falsified. They don't work out. And the theory is resistant. There's never a question of the theory itself. It's rather right. the explanation failed let's bring in another explanation. And it always gets more complicated. So you're adding more epicycles to the theory continually. You know, compared to what Darwin thought up today, it's a much more complicated theory. It's, it's like the tax code. It's just more and more and more things added to it. You can hardly even keep track of all the 
parts, all the moving parts of evolutionary theory. And it's things like this that make that. So, yeah, the theory just keeps on chugging along in spite of empirical problems. Well, you know, I get asked this kind of question frequently from audiences. Well, well, how can they think that evolution actually accomplished this or this or this or that? And I say, well, first you have to understand they're already assuming up front that evolution is true. Exactly. Therefore, therefore this structure had to have evolved somehow. <laughs> exactly. Biology is interpreted according to evolution through the lens of evolutionary theory. Well, Dr. Hunter, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time with us today. And this has been ID the Future, the podcast on intelligent design and evolution. And I'm your host, Ray Boland. Thank you for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.